Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Scam Anchor podcast, Talk Too Much, the podcast where we talk to industry experts about their sector. Today's podcast will be based on diversity, equity and inclusion. And today we have Monica Beckles, an HR and employment expert. So good morning, Monica. Good morning, Kieran. Thank you. So I kind of want to straight, uh, straight away just jump into it and ask you, why does diversity, equity and inclusion matter to you personally? And kind of like a bit of background as to what you do. Okay, thank you. Um, so to give you the background first, um, I've worked in business leadership for many years, too many that I'd like to mention. <laughs> and one of the areas that I've had particular focus is in the um, remit of people management, HR, performance, all of that. Mm. I run my own employment law consultancy and work with businesses, helping them in a HR and employment law capacity. So naturally, diversity, fairness, inclusion, equity, all of that has been an area that I've been focused on for many years. For me personally, um, I am a woman. I'm a black woman. And I have personally experienced some issues with diversity and inclusion in my lifetime and have worked with organisations to help them improve the diversity of you know, their environment for the benefit of the individuals that they employ and for themselves, because there are numerous benefits to a diverse workforce. So mm. I think it really comes down on the side of fairness and equity. Um, and that's why it's really important to me and something that I focus on. Yeah. Um, so when you work with all these different businesses, do you find that when it comes to diversity, inclusion, equity, it's something which is more of like a, an afterthought at the moment? in today's society or is it or was it a quite a big focus going on i'd say there's a percentage that are focused on it but it's a smaller mm. percentage um yeah. the majority see it as a bit of a tick box exercise it's something that they know they need to do yeah so they'll talk about it from that aspect but there are very few organizations that are truly committed to building a diverse workforce and you know, gleaning the benefits of an inclusive workforce. Very few at the moment, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, logically, there's no reason necessarily why it should be an issue in theory, because, um, you know, the more you're open to inclusion diversity, the more you're allowing, you know, for example, if you're recruiting, you know, you open your um, candidate options way more if you're going to accept people from all different kinds of culture or color, et cetera. Um, whether if, you know, instead of if you're just kind of reducing it down to a set portion of people because you may have an issue against, uh, well, not necessarily an issue, but you may preference someone of a certain personality or color or ethnic background. Um, but for me, kind of sitting here, it sounds a bit, I don't want to say stupid, but a bit, a bit stupid that some people would be very closed off and not be recruiting people just based on, um, you know, their color, ethnicity, or even just treating them differently inside the workplace. Cause I mean, you know, that could also, I'm assuming it also does affect company morale inside the workplace. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of statistics out there that show that particularly the younger generation now, they look, you know, about two thirds of them would say looking for an organization and the diversity of the organization is important to them when they're considering who to work for. Mm. Um, and I think. It is a very short-sighted approach, but it's one that's going to take time and effort and commitment to change because, you know, we are a factor of our experience, our, our you know, upbringing, our environment, and that is something that we all need to recognise and 
have a true commitment to do something about. So there, you know, there are people there who are recruiting who probably genuinely don't appreciate that they are being biased in the way that they're approaching mm. their recruitment. And then therefore they naturally are building a workforce that isn't particularly diverse. So it's really about recognising and, you know, having that self-awareness of where our biases may be and the commitment to do something about it. Yeah. So that's something that you've noticed where it's more. So the younger generation is really looking for a diverse workplace now. Yes. Yeah. 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 Definitely. A hundred percent. You know, that their social commitment is far stronger than, um, you know, people of a more older generation. And they they see the unfairness. I mean, you, you can see that in. Some of the, you know, protests and marches about, you know, sort of inequality and discrimination that have happened over the years and the percentage of, you know, it's not just people who are experiencing that discrimination. It's all, you know, genders, ages, races that are there. Hmm. There is a particularly high percentage of young people who are now standing up and saying, I'm not prepared to accept this. This has got to change. So when they're looking for an employer, they're definitely looking for somebody who shares their values in the diversity space. Yeah. And um, so the previous week you came on and you kind of gave the Scaramanga team a workshop on diversity, equity and inclusion, a really good one as well. Um, And, you know, going away after that session and then knowing that, you know, we're going to have this opportunity to talk to you again on the podcast. I looked into a lot, a lot of kind of statistics about diversity, equity, inclusion, um, because, you know, logically, it makes sense why, you know, you wouldn't want to, you know, you would want to follow diversity, equity, inclusion. But I saw like a lot of stats, you know, such as um corporate companies believing that if they had a competitor that was diverse, you know, and inclusive, that competitor would probably outperform them in terms of a work ethic. Um, just because they has a more, you know, that, that competitor has a more safer environment for their employees and company morale, as I mentioned as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think the statistics are there and they've been there for a number of years. Unfortunately, they're not moving in the right direction or Mm. quickly enough in that direction. Um, But I think most organisations know the benefits of a diverse workforce from a performance statistic um, aspect, sorry, from, you know, an, an innovative aspect. There are so many benefits of recruiting a diverse workforce, I think a lot of business leaders know it, but you still need to recognize why you're not. Yeah. And then have that commitment to do something about it. Yeah. So I guess when you say that, I'm kind of now thinking about it. So the stats have probably been the same for, as you said, quite a long time now, but it feels it for me, it feels like as someone of the younger generation, you know, we see a lot more protests about it, you know, a lot more publicity is being more pushed around this agenda. So it feels like the stats would have moved quite a bit forward quite fast. I'm guessing it's just more in the limelight now. I really, really wish I could say that that is the case, Kieran, yeah. but unfortunately it is not. I mean, if you look at the statistics for um, disabled people in the workforce, they're going yep. the wrong way. There are more unemployed disabled people now than there were, you know, a year or so ago. If you look at the percentage of black leaders in the workforce, yeah. That in you know since 2014 it's moved by 0.1% and it was incredibly low to begin with so yeah in almost every area there's just not the movement that you know that the discussions or the comments and the talk that you hear in business suggest there would be yeah I and mean, that's really interesting especially coming from so yeah 
Yeah, I said sorry. Yeah, I just said it, it. It therefore just demonstrates that it is talk because it's not mm. being backed by action. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting, especially working in the social media world, because it feels like whenever I do log on to a social media platform, there's a lot of posts, um, you know, talking about female leaders and, you know, celebrating it or celebrating like a black um, owned company. Like, it feels like there's a lot of that. I'm guessing that's probably just because it feels like there's a lot of it because there was just none of that really being shared beforehand. Yeah. And I think a black owned company is, you know, that's one thing where a black person decides they're going to start a company because they want to work in a particular field and maybe they're not getting the opportunity to do so. Mm. But in terms of your typical um, organization, recruiting a black person into a leadership position, a management mm. position, whatever it may be, it's very, very few and far between. Um, I think with females, there has been some growth, um, but not anywhere near as fast as it should be, considering the benefits that organizations get from women in leadership positions. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really interesting, especially the statistic you mentioned about um, disability and how it's actually gone the completely yeah. other end of the spectrum, because it just feels like everything. It feels like it looks like everything is moving, even if it's a bit slowly in the right direction. But to hear that it's quite a big statistic, especially when it's disability it's involved moving in the opposite direction, it's a bit concerning. But I guess there is not necessarily a magic there's not a magic formula that can just come in and fix everything at the moment. It's a very slow process, I would imagine. Yeah, exactly. And it, as I said, it's just going to take a recognition and acceptance and a commitment to actually do something about it. Um, yeah. And, you know, that that requires some honest discussions and some very, as I mentioned in the training last week, some uncomfortable positions to be in to actually get to that point of recognising what needs to change. Mm. And one of the questions I wanted to ask is because, I mean, you've worked with so many different businesses. Was there a case where you started working with a business and they believed that they were diverse, they were inclusive and, you know, they were very, you know, on the equality side of things. But then in reality, you kind of have to sit them down and tell them, well, you're not like you think you are, but you're not. And here's why. Um, I can't think of a specific example in that respect, but there is a company that I worked with um, a few years back. Mm. And I encourage them to recruit a more diverse workforce. And, you know, they took it on board. It, it took some discussion, but they took it on board and we, we undertook some targeted recruitment so that we could go and recruit with predominantly younger individuals. Um, but we went to sort of colleges and universities and with some targeted leaflets and campaigns to try and recruit um, workers from an ethnic background, let's say. Um, but what was evident was that when we were very successful and we recruited a large percentage of people into the business and it really added benefit in so many ways and made it much more easier actually for us to recruit people moving forward. Because when you see people that look like you, you're more inclined to be comfortable in that space and you're more inclined to want to go to that space. Yeah. Um, but what didn't happen was you know they didn't really move up into leadership positions so that moves on to the sort of inclusivity part and I think a lot of businesses do that where they think they're diverse and inclusive because they can tick the box to say oh a percentage of our workforce are from this background or this background or have this characteristic but when you really look at the organization and who's getting involved in the key parts of the organization making the decisions you know that sort of thing they're not really including them in that aspect. So yeah. diversity, yes. Inclusivity, not so. No, and I can I can kind of 
picture a few scenarios maybe that you've worked with a company, you go through a process with them, you teach them everything they need to know, and then you leave, and then they kind of, it kind of just falls off. It doesn't get implemented as much. I can imagine that happens a bit. Yeah, yeah. And unless the, the true commitment is there and they're doing it for the right reasons and understand why they're doing it and, and can see the benefits of it, then, mm. you know, they're not going to stick to it. Yeah, I mean, you, you said it right at the beginning of the podcast that it's like something that companies feel like they have to do a session or at least nowadays, whether they take it seriously or not, they just have to at least show they're trying. Um, and that can be in a one-off session and nothing else. Further. Yeah. yeah, it can be, you know, you get some kind of training in and you think, oh, you know, we've delivered diversity training to our workforce or we've delivered unconscious bias training to our workforce and they think that's the panacea and that's going to fix everything. And it just is not. Um, you know, they need to look at their whole systems, their processes. As I said, you know, the inclusivity, whether they're on the management team, whether they're consulted, whether they have a say in how the business operates, how inclusive they actually are. Um, there's a lot of areas in business that, you know, businesses kind of say, OK, we're going to do that because it's what we need to do. Yeah. Um, we need to try and be more sustainable. We need to try and be more diverse. We need to you know, have corporate social responsibility, whatever it may be. But is there a real commitment to do it? Do they understand why? And do they have the strategy and the action plans in place to do it? So this because once they see the benefits, they will continue to do so. But unless you put the work in and are committed to it to see those benefits, then, as you say, you're going to drop off. Yeah. Like it is, you're going to drop off. So if there was a company that I wouldn't say necessarily believes in uh, DEI, but they were kind of struggling to start implementing it, what, what, because you just mentioned the, the benefits and the positives there. What would be some of those benefits or positives you would tell a company, you know, if you do do this training and you do, you know, implement this properly, this is what might happen? There are so many areas. Number one, performance. You know, there's there's stats out there um, that show, you know, McKinsey's done research over the years that show they're 35 percent more likely to get higher returns in business, a diverse, you know, an inclusive workforce. Harvard's done research that shows it impacts on market share, which is going to have, you know, financial returns as well. Um, as I touched on, it's going to make them, it's going to help them recruit because the younger generation look for that, you know, particularly. And I think the thing to really think about what businesses need to stop and think about is 48%. If you're just looking at the race perspective, and there are so many, you know, areas of diversity that we can touch on. But if you just look at it from the race perspective, 48% of Generation Z are from black or ethnic minorities. So unless businesses start to look at their commitment to diversity, then the pool that they're going to be recruiting from is going to be rather challenging for them because they're going to be excluding a large percentage of, you know, the work, you know, the available workforce. Yeah, well, pretty much half, as you said, so. Exactly, exactly. So businesses really need to think about their commitment to diversity from not just race, but gender, disability, you know, um, uh, sexuality, all those sort of things, they need to give some consideration to that. Hmm. So if, if there was a business and they wanted to start their journey, you know, they wanted to start being diverse and inclusive, they want to start probably going along the, the journey of being in that direction, what would be the best kind of starting point that you would recommend a business to begin with? Um, I'd say number one, they need to assess where they are right now. Um, and ask themselves some 
difficult questions and mm-hmm. probably get somebody in to help them to ask those questions and to examine where they are and why they are where they are. Um, because if they haven't done it so far, they probably need some help. Yeah, so, so get, get an outside coaching or training exactly, session. Yeah. Exactly. So, as you know, in the training that we did last week, we asked ourselves some pretty difficult questions and we yeah. said ourselves and, you know, why our friendship groups are as they are or how we felt in particular situations. And those are the sort of things that businesses need to sort of examine and business leaders need to look at themselves and say, OK, forget the workplace for now. Who am I and, and what are my biases and who do I surround myself with and who do I let into my inner circle? Who do I trust and why? So if business leaders can look at that and then look at it, you know, across their workforce and get somebody in to help them do that and then just have the really difficult conversations. One of the things that happened after the George Floyd murder um, during the pandemic was businesses really started to examine themselves. And that's when we thought there was going to be a real change. Um, And some areas have changed. Diversity on the face of it has changed in Look at the TV, you know, the amount of people you see of different races in, um, you know, adverts and on TV. You could definitely notice there has been a step change. Um, So those sort of conversations that were had and the acknowledgements of, you know, maybe things weren't done very well in the past and we need to do things better need to be had. But you need to understand why things weren't done as well in the past. Yeah, do things better moving forward and then put the steps in place to do it. But you need the help of somebody who understands it and who can help you implement those steps and then embed those steps into the culture of the organisation. Yeah, you need someone from outside of your company to come in and be able to give you the proper, you know, tough talk instead of someone from inside the company doing it. Yeah, most of the time you do. Most Unless the leader goes out and goes on, you know, a training course with a firm commitment to embed what is learned. You know, there's various ways of doing it. But if you haven't done it so far, there's a reason you haven't done it so far. And that needs to be examined. And then, you know, that's sort of the first step. So that's why I said about the uncomfortable part. We need to be honest and sometimes being honest about our biases and how we view things can be an uncomfortable place to be. Mm. But if you don't have that pain, then you're not going to get the gains out of it. So that needs to happen. Yeah, and you mentioned our training session, and there was one point that you one there was one part in particular in the training session where we talked about DEI, and you know the D was diversity, the I was you know in, um, inclusion, but the E was interesting because you meant because you asked us obviously what the E stood for, and I remember some of us some of us said equality, and I said equality, but it turns out it wasn't it was equity, and could you kind of just touch upon the difference between equality and equity in that sense? Yeah, so historically, it's all, the, the E has stood for equality because I think, you know, people thought, okay, if you give everybody the same, if you give them the same opportunity, if you give them the same tools, then they're all going to have the same, you know, opportunity to achieve something or they can all progress in the same way. And over time, it has been appreciated that that is actually not the case. We need to meet people where they're at and give them the support and the tools they need from their own point of, you know, disadvantage. So there are certain people who, you know, in the workplace need 
very little support for whatever reason it may be. You know, they're just in a position of more advantage than their colleague who sits next to them. So if you give them the same tools, then the, the, the gap in the advantage is going to stay. It's going to remain. You're not going to close that gap. So the way to close that gap is to recognize and meet each person where they're at. And if one needs twice as much as the person next to them because they're coming from a greater point of disadvantage, then that's what businesses need to do. And that's the equity part in it. So it's about giving what is equitable and what is needed from the point that person is actually at and not, you know, the same across the board because that doesn't close that gap at all. Yeah. And you showed us this great image of um, three people looking into the stadium and they're all different heights, one tall, one medium, one small. And they each had one box and that's equal because they would have one box, but obviously the smaller people couldn't look into the stadium because, you know, it wasn't, um, the equity wasn't spread accordingly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that is an image from, it was just a businessman having a conversation and trying to explain a few years ago, you know, mm. why equality doesn't work, why it needs to be equity. And he came up with this fantastic drawing that clearly illustrated it. Um, and it's just, gone viral and it's been used in so many areas but it's the best example that I've seen that clearly clearly demonstrates the difference between equality and equity and you know why you have to meet somebody where they're at at their own point of disadvantage yeah and kind of just the end off there was one question I did want to ask about you and how you personally feel about it but when you see companies for example on social media and they're promoting you know a pride or Black History Month, etc. And there's no one in their team that fits that agenda. I was kind of curious what your opinion on that was overall. Again, unfortunately, that comes back to the kind of the tick box. Look at us. We mm. believe this. We're committed to this. When clearly, if you don't have anybody in your team that looks like that group that you're trying to represent, that's where you really need to ask yourself that question. And, you know, it, it's been something that's gone on for years. You know, you have this Black History Month in October and businesses jump on the bandwagon and they start to do all these initiatives because they're committed to it and they want to level the playing field. And then the other 11 months of the year, you know, yeah. you, do, you know, why, why, why do you, why are you so committed in October? when it's that month but you're not demonstrating it in the other months of the year so for me I'd love it if there wasn't a black history month because there wasn't a need for it you know yeah. or there wasn't a pride month because everybody was treated equally and therefore there wasn't a need to kind of highlight those individuals during that time yeah. that's where we need to get to you know yeah. we're still having month dedicated to that we need to ask ourselves why we're still doing that and I'm glad you mentioned that because I've seen a few people come out. So for example, I've seen a quite a few black creators on social media come out and they mention that they don't particularly like black history month because it feels like it's all just, it's forced into a month about the black culture, but it should be the whole year, not just restricted to that one month. Absolutely. Totally, totally agree. And the same yeah. inside and all the other initiatives that, you know, try and sort of highlight and focus on a particularly marginalized group actually let's, make them not a marginalised group and let's have the same across the year for everybody and then it won't be necessary. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think we've, we're seeing more trends on modern, you know, for example, I think in certain sports they do, um, they take the knee um, 
at the start of a game, for example, uh, to represent black culture and black power. But I think over time it loses its meaning, you know, once it's done for, you know, a few years, but nothing's actually changing. Yeah, and they've made a decision this year from um, my understanding of not to do it on a regular mm-hmm. basis every game because of that reason, you know, yeah. exactly that reason. Because at the same time, they've been taking a knee for this period of time, but at the same time, they're reporting instances of, you know, discrimination and abuse on the playing field. Mm-hmm. And the, the the governing bodies in the sport aren't really demonstrating that they're in any way committed to, you know, anti-discrimination or sort of levelling the playing field for want of a better description. So, yeah, if you do something over and over and over, it just becomes, you don't notice it as much, you know. Mm-hmm. But it needs to be a wider commitment through the sport so that the abuse that happens to players on the field is dealt with properly and there's a clear message given to individuals who think they can go there and do that, that it will not be tolerated and to, you know, teams who allow their fans in and allow them to behave in that way, that it won't be tolerated. But unfortunately, some of the ridiculous fines that they give out and some of the punishment that they give basically shows we don't really care, but we need to do something about it. So we're just going to give you a slap on the wrist and we're going to give you this fine, which is absolutely nothing, just to show that we have an issue with it when really truly deep down it doesn't suggest that they do no <laughs> and i think just kind of some closing thoughts but if anyone would like to get in contact with you or use your service um how can they find you um a company is called inside advantage and the website is insideadvantage.co.uk um so they can look up the details on there um it's got a the contact number and everything and they can contact us via the website or through the number um so yeah that's us yeah well thank you for coming on the podcast monica it was a really insightful chat and i'm going away from this learning more and even more than what i learned from the previous training session we did the other week um so yeah and i hope that when we do next catch up that maybe the uh, statistics or companies is a bit more in the the right direction yes let's hope so let's Definitely hope that is the case. But thank you, Kieran. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Um, really enjoyed my day with your uh, teammate, uh, sorry, your colleagues last week. Really enjoyed the training. Um, and thank you for inviting me on to discuss this subject today. Really appreciate it. And I've enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Take care. Okay.